It's hard to think of a more iconic Australian brand that inspires confidence than the Royal Flying Doctors Service. They operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and they deliver the finest care to more than 330,000 Australians every year. To put that into perspective, it's about one person every two minutes. So from babies born, mid-air to dental services, and now to rolling out the COVID vaccine to some of the most rural locations in the country, you might have even seen some of their heroic stories brought to life on the small screen on the new RFDS TV drama series that's airing on Channel 7. Pulse is dropping. How far is the nearest neurosurgeon? 600 k's away. Looks like you're having this baby up here. I'm not ready. Now, I have been lucky enough to partner with the RFDS as an ambassador for many years, and I've gotten to know their equally inspiring and trailblazing Queensland CEO, Meredith Stabe, pretty well. And it's her story I wanted to share with you today. You need to be agile. It's, um, it's just a time of constant change, and whenever you make a plan, something will happen, and you need to be able to adapt to that. So Meredith has smashed a few glass ceilings. She started out as a nurse and then she did her MBA and now she provides leadership to some of the most reputable healthcare providers in the world. She is an inspiration not only for women in business but for anyone looking to shift career paths or step up their own ambitions. And in this insightful chat, she shares with us the confidence lessons she has learned along the way. So my role requires me to do a lot of public speaking I'm probably like a lot of people out there. It's not my favourite thing to do. I'm Katrina Blowers and this is Claiming Your Confidence. Meredith, it is so lovely to chat to you. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm delighted, Katrina. So for people who don't know about you, you actually have a really fascinating personal story for how you got into this role. Um, I think the Flying Doctors has such, it's such a romantic brand in a way. It's so iconically Australian. Um, Tell us about your journey with working with this organisation and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, certainly. I think you're right. There's definitely a romance to it. And I, I, I feel like that every time I go down and see one of our aircraft land and doing the great work they do and you go out to, to the communities. Um, so, yeah, my story was started originally um, clinically uh, as a nurse and sort of did a, a number of roles, did some retrieval work um, as well. Always wanted to work for the flying doctors, but I uh, was never a midwife. So I always think I never made the cut then, but I've managed to make my way back now. So, um, yeah, so clinical role and did some management experience within the hospital setting and then did an MBA. And then I moved into the financial services um, doing emergency international retrievals for large insurers. So Covermore, Allianz, Zurich. Um, so, yeah, great opportunity got to travel the world, see a lot of different health settings across the world um, and gain some great experience. I suppose I've been fortunate. I've had a clinical background but then I've had an exposure to business um, and commercial commercial experience, which I think has positioned me well for this role. So starting the organisation three years ago, uh, love it. Um, I think it's really important uh, in the CEO role that you're aligned to the values of an organisation. So that's probably what appealed to me the most about the RFDS. Yeah, it's kind of like all the different things that you did, which I'm sure at the time people were scratching their heads going you know not not too many nurses end up doing an MBA and then doing the emergency retrieval stuff it's kind of all come together to be the perfect 
fit for the job you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not entirely sure I planned it that way. I think, <laughs> I think in life um, you go along, I think opportunities come along, present themselves, and I think you've just got to take every opportunity. Um, but that doesn't come without hard work. So I think you've got to be prepared to work really hard um, and, yeah, just take those opportunities when they come up. So, yeah, I think I'm well positioned um, now, um, but, yeah, probably didn't set out to, to do this. Yeah. Let's go back to the emergency retrieval stuff. Now, for people who don't know what that job involves, what kind of things are you doing there? Yeah, so basically when anyone travels, um, they have the option to take out a travel insurance policy um, with an insurer. Um, So basically what happens then is if you get unwell overseas while you're travelling, well, then you need to either be repatriated home or you have your case managed remotely by a team here in Australia. So... um, so that's that's basically what it is. So transporting people across the world, um, and my last role at Zurich, we had an international international platforms across the world. So um, worked in businesses in China and Malaysia and Blatham and Toronto. So yeah, fascinating experience. Um, I think Australians are very lucky um, healthcare they have access to. Um, so because it's not not like that wherever you're travelling the world, and you get to absolutely experience that. What were some of the more challenging retrievals you got to work on? Um, so I think distance always makes it a challenge. So if you're bringing someone across, across from the other side of the world back into Australia, you know, big flights, making sure they're well enough, right teams, how many times they need to stop and refuel, um, making sure you're using reputable providers. So I think that that's sort of some of the day-to-day challenges. And I think you're not necessarily dealing, um, yeah, English is not the first language, um, different standards of care um, always makes it a, a challenge. Um, so, yeah, I think that's that's probably you know, the general challenges of the organisation. Some of the more interesting things, obviously there's the Nepal earthquake and chartering yeah. aircraft to bring everyone out. Wow. Um, so, yeah, so had the opportunity to have some fantastic experiences, I think, in, from a work point of view. And I think it all comes back to just being able to, to help people, whether it be overseas or here. Flying into Nepal after that earthquake, and, I mean, we all saw the pictures on the news and it just looked mm. absolutely horrific. You wouldn't have even known what you were flying into and what kind of condition most of those people would have been in. Yeah, we had a lot of a lot of our insurers were, were there in Nepal. So we made the decision. We sort of monitored the situation really closely and then made the decision where we thought it was safe enough and we chartered a 737 jet um, and sent it in to Nepal, but you're right. So I think we were very careful how we went in. We made sure that they were well prepared. They went with security. We sent the best people for the job. Um, we sent them with uh, psychologists, both for themselves and for people that were picking them up. Um, we allowed them only a certain amount of time on the ground um, so that depending on what they're going to find, they could then choose to, to leave uh, in a hurry but I can remember you know being up all night you know tracking the team tracking the aircraft getting feedback from them on the ground to make sure you know the the situation they're in and was it safe and and yeah so yeah amazing experience though and I think the the greatest thing for me or the greatest reward is when you you know you could ring their family and say they're on their way back or you saw them met at the airport by their families and I think that just comes back to the purpose of why why you do the work you do yeah um, and you should always be aligned to the the values of the organisation that you're working for or, or the service you're delivering. Yeah, uh, you know, and we, we've talked about this in the past, you and I together, about mm. how important that is and I know that that it's hugely important to you and you've done a lot of work in that space on figuring out what your values are. For people who are listening who um, haven't done that, that kind of work and, and perhaps want to make a career change themselves, where did you find that grounding and that early confidence to, to do that and to say to yourself, 
you know, this is important to me. I do want to um, be intentional about having values that are aligned with the organisation that I ultimately give so much of myself and my career to. So I think probably early in my career, it was aligned to the profession I chose, so nursing. I think that's that's all really about helping people, caring for people. Um, I think for me personally, I, you know, I like the social connecting with people. Um, so I think that's probably where it started initially for me. And I think as I've gone through and looked at roles, um, it's always got to have that element. I think in all the roles I've had, there's been that element of, of you know, being able to make a difference no matter how small or large that is, um, working with people um, has always been that thread right through clinical, uh, through the commercial sector and, and obviously now, I mean, the RFDS is a classic example of that. It's, you know, iconic organisation that's been making such a huge difference um, and delivering, you know, essential healthcare in, in places where people just don't get access to it. So I think having the opportunity now to to lead that is probably greatest career highlight of, of mine. Um, so I think I suppose I've always tied back opportunities to 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 being true to knowing what I, what it is that I like to do um, and, and true to those personal values. So I think mm. that's probably how it's connected for me. Um, and, yeah, like I said, RFDS, it's an incredible organisation and I think the thing I probably enjoy most about my role is <laughs> being able to get out and about, you know, go to a clinic, uh, hop in the aircraft, um, see the work the team do. Uh, I think there's probably no greater reward for me as a CEO is, you know, being able to spend time with the team and seeing the amazing difference they make and the community. Community embrace us. It's incredible. I don't think anywhere I've worked I've seen such community support um, you know, they pick you up from the airstrip, they make your lunch, um, they clear the airstrip before you land to get rid of all the kangaroos. You know, it's just that whole community spirit. People just align to, to the purpose of the organisation and obviously that's absolute credit to John Flynn because he yeah. started it 93 years ago. He's way ahead of his time. Yeah. Now, I wish I could say that we live in different times, but sadly we still don't, that there are still not as many female CEOs as there are men. Growing up, were you kind of taught that you could do anything or did that confidence for you come later? Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I was taught it. I mean, I always had opportunities growing up. I had, I've got great parents that were really supportive um, and I probably never set out to be a, CEO, a female CEO. That wasn't sort of what my career path was. I think, again, it was just opportunity. Um, I suppose I would like to think, uh, you know, I'm here based on merit, um, not regardless of whether I'm male or, or, or female. I think, uh, you know, you've just got to take those opportunities. You've got to work hard. Um, and, yeah, I, I suppose I don't really think about that a lot. Um, I just think, you know, right person for the job with the right skill set and everyone's just got to work hard. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, the organisation and the kinds of work that's being done at the moment. Um, as I said before, we were so lucky, I think, in the 80s and 90s to have that beautiful television show, Flying Doctors, which really promoted the work of the organisation in a very highly romanticised way. That's right. <laughs> However, some of those stories stories are actually like of the heroics and the bravery and the courage that is shown by the pilot and the crews um, and the love of the organisation with the people on the ground. It, it's highly accurate. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, obviously we're fortunate we've got the TV drama running at the moment. We're looking forward to episode number three. But you're right, I think the stories are predominantly very true. You know, they're based on on, on 
things that happen each and every day. Um, and I always say, I think the true movie stars, the people that actually do it for a job that we have in the organisation, yeah. I think they are absolute stars. Um, but it is, at, you know, but they're based on true true storylines. Um, so it is, it's challenging. And I think you, when you live in the city, you probably do also take for granted the access you have to healthcare, where it's not the case um, out in some of these remote communities. Um, if you look at Thargamindra, it's a thousand kilometres from Brisbane. It's it's it, it is miles away, really remote. So you know the community always band together when you arrive, um, and it, you're going in as a small team. So it's really it's a pilot, a nurse, and a doctor potentially. So there's three of you. Um, so everyone's got more than one job. Everyone's probably doing more than their job um, to make it happen. So I think. Um, yeah, I think it's great to see it play out on the screen because I think people have an understanding of, of, of the organisation and the work and the extremely experienced staff we have. So our pilots, you know, single pilot operation, uh, they've got to have, you know, hours and hours of flying experience um, and they have to land you know, 800 different airstrips across the state mm. and that's anything from here at the International Terminal here in Brisbane or the domestic terminal right through to, you know, a road in the middle, middle of somewhere remote or on a, on a runway that's linked with toilet roll hole. You know, it's, mm. it's, it's just incredible the scale and scope of their role. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's great to see it play out on the big screen. I think it really gives people an understanding because we are known for the aeromedical side of the work we do, but we obviously do a lot around primary health care, which is probably as important, um, if not more important, the, you know, the preventative part of it, you know, managing chronic diseases. So we do, we do about 190 occasions of care a day that we're helping people across Queensland alone. So it's pretty incredible. That's amazing, yeah. And, you know, you... you... I guess before COVID had more of an opportunity to travel around to particularly those remote um, Indigenous communities to to see the, the true impact of yeah. the kinds of work that's being done. But tell us about some of the stories that have really stood out to you where RFDS has been able to make a huge impact and it's kind of, you know, it's given, it's, it's made you feel quite emotional about the organisation. Yeah, there's probably, there's probably lots and lots of them. I think um, for me probably... Uh, uh, going up into the Cape absolutely gives you an understanding um, of, of the work we do in those really remote communities, um, you know, whether it's going and delivering a baby in the middle of the night. And I can remember I was going into Dumaji, which is up, up in the Cape, um, and the day before, the night before I'd gone in, we'd been up there delivering a baby and just the community and the way they welcome you. You know, you've been in and made the team had made such a difference that you know brought someone into into the life. Um, so yeah, so I think you know those sort of things when you see actually the, the difference we make uh, is incredible. And I think the benefit I have in this job is I get to travel around and everyone's got an RFDS story. So there's there's hundreds of them. You know, we we've made a difference. You know, we've gone and rescued. You know, someone who's fallen off a horse or someone who's had a heart attack or delivered babies or taken child with burns to a tertiary care. Um, so it's just everywhere you go, someone's got an RFDS story. Um, mm. It's just incredible. Uh, it's really, really humbling actually to, to hear people share um, such an emotional journey with, with you and, and just to be so so grateful for the work we do. Yeah, and I've been lucky enough to MC a few of the gala balls and we always honour, you know, the heroes of the RFDS. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, because of COVID, we haven't been able to have them for the last couple of years. So um, tell us about someone who's done something amazing within the organisation who would have been honoured, whose story would have been shared, but we haven't been able to because of COVID. Yeah. So you're right, COVID's definitely impacted the RFDS local mm. heroes. We're still running them, but um, 
it obviously it's just a bit more of a challenging to recognise them. Um, I think, you know, the one that stands out for me, um, I think at the last gala that we were at, uh, Katrina was, you know, the the rescue on Christmas Eve from our Mount Isa team and it was a real demonstration of how, you know, a boating accident in a remote community, um, everyone banded together, the local helicopter team worked with us, um, people worked overnight, long hours, um, just to really make a difference to bring, you know, number of injured people back back to Mount Isa and, and eventually onto care. So I think that's probably one that stands out, but there's just so many um, that you see. Um, and like I said, it can be, you know, it's the people that you call ahead and they clear a runway for you yeah. um, in the middle of the night, no matter what time that is, um, you know, you know, people that refuel our aircraft, um, that, you know, people that come pick our teams up, um, you know, just there's just hundreds and hundreds of stories of how local community spirit, you know, really does help us to the service day in, day out. Yeah, that's one of my favourite parts about covering those stories is, you know, there's the local kind of Aussie spirit, but then I feel, and, you know, people in other states listening to this will probably get mad, but I feel like Queensland kind of steps it up a whole other notch. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a Queenslander, so you get yeah, to say yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's something beautiful about those, those small towns and, you know, everyone kind of has each other's back and everyone just acts like family. Yeah, absolutely. And I also think um, people that live out in rural remote communities, they're tough. Um, yeah. They're really tough and they hang together and, and you're right, they will do whatever it takes. You know, there's something happens in a community, everyone bands together. And we see that day in, day out with these communities we go into um, and just the welcome we get, the support we get. Uh, you're right, they are, that community spirit, you know, it's not measurable, but it's absolutely palpable, I think, in these communities that we go to. And we're very, very grateful for it because it really does make our job a lot easier. You're listening to Claiming Your Confidence with me, Katrina Blowers, and the RFDS Queensland CEO, Meredith Stave. Stay with us. Meredith is about to share the biggest confidence challenge she's working on right now. Now, given um, the the underlying theme of this podcast is about confidence, would you be able to share with us, particularly for you know any any women who are making their own business journey right now or, or leadership journey, would you be able to share with us a confidence challenge that you've had in your career and um, and how you've overcome it? Yeah, I think so. I probably can. Um share one, a current one, um, I think, uh, so my role requires me to do a lot of public speaking. I'm probably like a lot of people out there. It's not my favourite thing to do. Uh, I think a few people are naturals at it um, and I think the rest of us have to work really hard at it and and it's not my natural playing style. Um, so that's probably, that's a confidence journey I'm on. Um, and I just think for me there's probably a couple of things and obviously um, they're really about, I think, you know, you just need to be as genuine as you can be and, and be yourself. I think it, it's helpful if you obviously know what you're talking about. So, you know, knowing your content um, and obviously practice are probably the things that I use um, and, and trying not to be too hard on yourself, I think. You know, yeah. I think you always see yourself in a bit of a different light to everyone else. Definitely. Um, but that would probably be the thing that if you said to me, the thing I'm working on at the moment, and, and I suppose this job requires me to do a lot of it, um, probably mm. more so in any other role I've been in. Um, and probably what helps that is I'm, particularly proud and passionate of the work the team do. Um, I think it's incredible. So it's always really easy to speak about something you're proud about. Um, 
so yeah, so that's something that I'm working on. I think yeah. I think I'll probably have to work on that for my whole life. <laughs> oh, and you know, like I'd have to work on being good at maths for the rest of my life. So everyone has their little <laughs> zone of genius. But that's as you right. said, like that's such a good tip that you gave about you know um, being so um, passionate about the work of the organisation and other people's stories. And I always say to people who are nervous about public speaking, is make it about something other than you. If you get up on stage and you scrutinizing yourself and you're worrying about what other people are going to think of you um you're all up in your own head and if you actually make Mm. it either about um service for the providing a service for the audience or telling someone else's story and doing that justice then it takes that focus away from you and it, it means that you're far less likely to be nervous yeah absolutely and I think you I think a lot of people struggle with it I think that's always important to remember I'm sure you know, there's very few people that go, oh, I'm really going to love this. It's just, you know, there's a few, but not many. Yeah. So I think if you can keep that perspective, it always helps that you're not the only one that's probably, you know, battling a little bit of the, the confidence around uh, around public speaking. I, I, I do think, though, there's an element of being comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, mm. And I think probably now so more than ever, I think in the current environment we're seeing, you know, we're in a pandemic changes in technology in society I think you know we can't you can't afford to stand still so there's that element of you do need to be comfortable with being a bit uncomfortable and that goes all the way through right through to public speaking I think yeah definitely have you enjoyed having to do um less in-person stuff and more zoom because <laughs> with zoom yeah. you can kind of pretend it's just you and your computer <laughs> yeah true I've done a couple of um a couple of presentations and you're right it's, it's a lot more easy than standing up in front of hundreds and hundreds of people um it does make it uh it's the new way of life, I think. It's yeah. the, new, the new normal way of life post-COVID. Well, let's let's talk about this new way of life and how the RFDS has had to kind of adapt with that. With I think, you know, not too many people would be appreciative of the fact that you guys have been quite instrumental with the vaccine rollout to the region. So tell us about that and how on earth do you do it, especially since some of those vaccines need to be refrigerated? Yeah, so you're right. So we obviously have been playing a large part in vaccinating rural and remote communities in particular. Um, so we've, um, and I think it's the whole organisation has an overlay of a bit more complexity amongst COVID. Um, but yeah, we've just got, we've spent time, um, team have all been uh, trained in the way to give vaccinations. We have dedicated teams. We've worked closely with both the Commonwealth and state government to deliver them. Um, and we do find we get uh, great uptake in the communities that we go out to. Um, you know, some communities will vaccinate the whole community in a day. Um, wow. Yeah, so, so, so it's amazing. So I think um, they're definitely embracing it in these communities. Um, they see, you know, they see the value in being vaccinated. I think everyone's seeing our only way out of this is one of the ways that we're going to get out of this COVID situation, a new way of, of, of life is going to be to be vaccinated mm-hmm. um so yeah so we, it's been great um obviously you know there is logistics around transporting the vaccinations which we've worked through uh, i think probably what covid's taught us is you need to be agile it's um it's just a time of constant change and whenever you make a plan something will happen and you need to be able to adapt to that and to the absolute credit of the staff they've done an amazing job in that through through covid has the rfgs ever delivered vaccines before or is this the first time <laughs> No, so we, we run vaccine clinics for a whole range of, of uh, vaccines already. So it's not something new for us. Um, obviously, the challenges around um, the refrigeration and the type of vaccine has been new for us. Um, but, yeah, we've been doing vaccinations for a long time. We have a number of nurse practitioners, a uh, number of nurses that are um, certified 
to deliver vaccines. So, and we, and we run in clinics anyway. You know, we go into these communities um, and provide primary health care. So it's just a natural extension. We're well placed. We've got the infrastructure. So we should be helping to deliver these vaccinations in rural and remote communities. It's so important. The other thing too is that that I guess you can't discredit at all is the level of trust that people already have in your organisation. So, you know, there's a lot of there, well, there was, there's not as much now, but with anyone with vaccine hesitancy to be able to get it from an organisation that they already have a great deal of faith and trust in, I think would be really helpful. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there absolutely is a trust in the RFDS brand and probably that comes from, you know, for 93 years um, we've been going in and out of these communities, we're well-known, well-respected. So, so people do trust us. Um, so I think that absolutely has helped when our teams have come to, to run the vaccination clinics. You know, we know the people, they know us. We've been coming there each week. So they've got a level of comfort around you know, us and, and what we do mm. and, and the service we deliver, which absolutely helps. So important. So do you know how many you've rolled out so far? I think close to 3,000 vaccines. Gosh, that's amazing. Yeah. Yes, and I know, it's a great effort. What's the most remote community that you've delivered those to? Do you know? Um, so, yeah, I think we've done, so we've done Bulia and I think we've done Thargaminda. So some of those really, really remote communities we've, where we go in normally, um, we've actually added vaccine rollout to most of our clinics in those wow. really remote locations. Gosh, true sign of the times. <laughs> yeah, that's right. All right. So we are getting to the end of our time together and we're going to have a couple of rapid fire questions that I hope you don't mind answering for me. The first one would be, what would be your number one confidence tip? I think it'd probably be comfortable with being uncomfortable. I think yeah. that's, that would be my number one confidence tip. You just need to accept that you don't always feel 100% comfortable. You just want to embrace it and go with it. It's easier said than done, I think, because no one loves to no one loves to sit in discomfort, do they? Yeah, they say um, when you run an aviation business, there's you need a chronic sense of unease just to make sure you're constantly assessing the you know the quality and the safety in the organisation, and that's what the aviation team talk about here. And I think that's it, it's it's a good it's a good analogy. Yeah, it is. I'm sure that served you well over the years. Um, the second one is: Is there a book that you've read, or even an inspirational quote that you um, that you really love that's helped you along your way? Um, so I think probably I've, I've probably read a number of books and a number of quotes, and I think you come across them at various stages through your life. I think I'd have to be embracing um, John Flynn at the moment with his, you know, if you start something worthwhile, nothing can stop it. Um, and I think that's that's a great quote. I think particularly for where we are. Let's explain who John Flynn is for those people yeah, who don't so know. John Flynn was really, he was the innovator behind the RFDS. Um, I always say he was innovating way before everyone really knew what innovation was. I talked about it. So he's the gentleman that established the RFDS 93 years ago. Uh, he wanted to provide a mantle of safety to people living in rural and remote communities. Um, extreme passion for it and he really, really went after it. So um, I would hope that we're continuing to do him proud um, and maybe that's what's the quote that just appeals to me at this point in time. I think it's particularly important in the current times we're at with COVID. Yeah, um, so fortunate to work in an organisation that was started by such a visionary. And I'm sure when you, the, the more digging deep that you did and the more reading you did about him, you would have just been blown away. Yeah, and I think, you know, people talk about innovation now, you know, must innovate, must innovate, we're going to transform. But he was doing it like 93 years ago. Um, and I think that's probably... Uh, what I admire most about him um, and his passion for, you know, he, he knew people in the bush need to be connected to health care. They had a right to be connected to health and he just continued to tell his story um, 
like his crow, you know, um, yeah. until until he managed, you know, to get the first aircraft he rented off Qantas, you know, his first flight. Um, you know, he I think he was using aircraft, you know, to do medical repatriations not long after that, you know, they first came into being aircraft. So he was he's just he was way ahead of his time and I think, you know, um, we have to pay a lot of homage to him here uh, at the RFDS and I think the people in rural and remote communities absolutely uh, respect him. Speaking of confidence, you know, to have that that vision and to stick with it in the face of people saying it couldn't be done um, and to make it happen, uh, I just, I, I would love to know what he would make of it all now and um, what yeah. he would make of the work that you're doing now. Yeah, I'd hope um, I'd hope you'd be proud of what we're doing. Um, and I, you know, we're going through a bit of a change journey here in the organisation. And I keep saying, you know, we've got to innovate because and change the way we do things. Um, because John Flynn was doing it way before his time, and he's trusted us with the organisation and to look after the people in these communities. So uh, we have to challenge ourselves, and uh, you know, be you know comfortable being a little bit uncomfortable. Um, and and that's what we talk about in the organisation. I think we just need to make sure we are. Uh, doing him proud because he had an incredible vision. Uh, he was a visionary, absolutely. Mm, yeah. Now I'd love you to share with us something that maybe not that many people know about you. Um, what's something that you do for pure joy, something that has no outcome necessarily attached to it? Uh, probably pure joy. I think it's probably spending time with my children. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so how old are uh, your kids? Uh, 17 and 15. Beautiful. Um, so, yeah, they absolutely uh give me absolute joy um and family most of the time probably yeah most of the (laughs) teenagers (laughs) (laughs) yeah absolutely but yeah I'd say spending time with my children the greatest joys in life yeah what's something that you love doing with them are you board game people do you like walking in nature what what kinds of things do you guys Uh, do together it's interesting because it's always teenagers a little bit different they don't they're not sort of uh not as embracing of uh mum time maybe as they are when they're younger um it's great we like you know sitting down together each night and having dinner and um just you know talking about the day I think that's probably the time we come together um and I think, you know, embracing what, you know, what they're interested in, whether it be sport or my son's finishing his last year at school. So it's all about, you know, doing well at school. So, um, yeah, those sort of things we do are just normal family just the sort simple of things, things. Yeah. yeah, that mums do. Yeah, I agree. My favourite things are when my kids just sit at the breakfast bar while I'm prepping dinner and they just tell me about their day. That's such a joy yeah. and I don't even think they realise how much of a joy that is to me. Yeah, or driving in the car, taking them to school, that's where you hear about what's going to happen in the day and, you know, what's happening with their friends. And yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. It's a small. I think it's the small things you do with great love in life that's really yeah. important. Oh, gosh, yeah. that's beautiful. That's beautiful how you just put that. And finally, I guess because um, confidence is not a one-and-done thing, it's something that you have to keep working on, what is something that you are working on in yourself right now that you'd like to share with us um, in your own confidence journey to take us to where you next want to be in life? Well, so it's probably, it is, it is that public speaking thing, I think, that uh, <laughs> that I work on. I think I'm always going to have to work on that, <laughs> Katrina. Um, so, yeah, I'd probably say that's probably the current thing. I think... Um, I think it's really important um, when you're leading an organisation, you need to have, you need to be confident, um, you know, I think particularly leading an organisation through such unusual times at the moment. So I think it's really important you're constantly working on that. So it's, you know, it's knowing those things that make you feel confident. So it might be, you know, uh, taking a deep breath, um, making sure you practice before you, before you do it, putting on something nice, um, whatever it is that makes you feel a little bit more confident that just allows you to, to, to you know, to lead 
yeah lead an organization well beautiful and thank you for being honest with us about that too because um i think a lot of people often try to just pretend that everything's okay but that actually helps no one so yeah i really appreciate that because that will resonate with so many people well thank you for taking the time out particularly during such a busy time for the organization to have this chat and i'm sure people have learned a lot about the rfds and you that they didn't know before excellent thank you katrina it's been fantastic to talk to you Stay connected by following Claiming Your Confidence or me, Katrina Blowers, on Instagram. For more information on this or other episodes, head to katrinablowers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate and review on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app and make sure you share it with anyone you think would benefit from a confidence pick-me-up. Claiming Your Confidence is created and produced by me, Katrina Blowers. Audio thanks to Turn. Term 6 podcast productions. I hope you're having a great week. Thank you for listening to Claiming Your Confidence.